So, kind of to, I don't have any funny, cute little anecdote this morning, um, but I do have a confession. Uh, so in March 2020, we all know the infamous 2020 year, I had just moved into a new apartment near uh, Crabtree. And I wanted to celebrate my birthday, so it was, uh, yeah, like I said, in March. And I invite some friends over to the new place. Approximately one week after I moved in, uh, the world hung the biggest close sign due to COVID. So as we know, basically everything shut down. We didn't know what it was, uh, including church services and gatherings. Uh, my response to this, my, my confession to you all, I was a sigh of relief. I could not attend church. Oh, shucks. You know, someone up here telling you, hey, come to church. I'm saying I was not disappointed in this time of my life. This is my full confession. It was a welcome scenario as I was looking for community and felt I just had found it. I got burned. I was exhausted, frustrated, and quick. Frankly, I was, I was over it. I was over attending church, even though I've been a Christian all my life. I was just, I was tired of trying to find true community. I was tired of just the, the effort. Um, and it was, I was just tired. I was discouraged. However, as things slowly reopened and churches were permitted to gather again, what did I do? Uh, I decided to go again. That's false. I stayed at my home in my favorite recliner. I didn't want to go back. I watched my father preach online. I was in my sweats with my coffee, hanging out with my dog Murphy, worshiping God. Why would I leave? Why go through all the hassle? Besides, we are the church. So what does it matter if I'm here or there? I'm sure you guys have asked that question to yourself often. And so what we're going to talk about this morning, we'll, we'll see what God says about this issue of church. And basically, uh, my point this morning, the question that we want to answer is, why does God ask us to meet together? We, we, we know that he does, but why? What's the point of it? Uh, and it's not just to check something off your list. It's not just to make people happy. It's not just to feel good about yourself. So there is a reason why God asks us to meet together. So if you want to turn to uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, um, there is a Bible in the seat back in front of you or also underneath if you're sitting in the front. It's also page 1067 in that Bible. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to take that. That is our gift to you. So Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Now, as you are turning there, I'm going to give a brief introduction on Hebrews because we've been in Genesis for basically the whole year. And so Hebrews is a, a different approach. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a, a narrative of, of God redeeming um, certain people. It's, it's more of a, an, an epistle or a letter written to instruct. Um, so what we have going on is Hebrews, as you're turning there, was written in mid to late 60 AD, so a long time ago. Uh, it was written for Hebrews to teach Hebrews not to be Hebrews, okay? Uh, it's it's kind of weird, kind of confusing, but basically it's written to those that are Jewish Christians, um, trying to encourage them that not to go back to the old way of just focusing on the Old Testament and how you previously uh, went about cleansing sin. Jesus has fulfilled that. So uh, there is this temptation uh, of genuine and professing Jewish Christians to resort to Old Testament ways of living as if Jesus hadn't fulfilled the law, and he has through his death, burial, and resurrection. So the author wants to remind them that the law of Moses had been fulfilled in Jesus and that Christians were not um, Jewish, were not required to follow certain Old Testament ordinances or, or rituals, for lack of a better term. You see, God's chosen people we've been learning about in Genesis the entire year uh, were asked by God to draw near to him and obey due to his grace and kindness towards them. However, due to God's holiness and humanity's sinfulness, 
There were practices put in place to make this possible. There were sacrifices, priests, ceremonies, etc. All temporary, pointing to the one who would satisfy all these conditions permanently, and that is Jesus. So the first seven chapters of Hebrews reveals how Jesus is superior, better than all those who came before him, who were responsible for pointing us to him. Jesus is higher or better than the angels. He is higher, better than Moses, than Joshua, and even the high priests. So then chapters 8 through 10 go on to focus on this, this new covenant established in Jesus in his life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection. Hebrews says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. The law is not bad. Uh, as, as will, you know, Genesis, even after Exodus, we talk about the Ten Commandments, about you basically they're summed up in love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and the second is like it, love everybody else as you would want to be treated. Um, and so what's going on there is the law was a shadow of the good things. So shadows are not, sometimes it can be scary, depending upon like, I guess, how old you are and where you are. Oh, you've seen those, uh, those memes, those videos where like you turn off the light and suddenly there's some scary people running after you. Um, that's, I still do that. Um, <laughs> If, you, if it's ever dark and you hear some like loud footprints in here, it's what I'm doing, I'm trying to hide from those scary people. Um, but the, it's, it's a shadow of what Christ was going to do. We have to remember uh, in ancient times, like the concept of, I guess, Jesus and what he was going to do was just something that they were not very strongly attached to. Um, and so they were a shadow of what is to come, which was Jesus and what we can partake in for those who follow him. And then in verses 11, 12, and 14 in chapter 10, the author says, uh, this, the message, uh, a paraphrase, uh, just, I think says it more succinctly, every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same sacrifices year in and year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people, which is us. So that brings us to the passage I want to focus on this morning. Like I said, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And let's start there to answer the question, why does God ask us to meet together? Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. I'll explain this. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And we'll stop there and make a couple notes. Note that today's portion of scripture and sermon, I want, this is going to be an exhortation or an encouragement. Exhortation or encouragement to not forsake the assembling together. It's not meant to shame, rebuke, or even craft in a way to convict. I, I'm, I don't, not doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I cannot convict you. Uh, I can just relay a message. I'd be a terrible God uh, if I was one. Uh, so we're not going to go that way. All right. You see, so the author here is addressing his audience as brothers and sisters. There's this care. There's this concern. There's compassion. There are times where the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest um, leaders in the Christian faith then, who persecuted Christians up and down, uh, who has now been just encountered God and is now a forerunner of church planning. Um, he is basically, a lot of times he does rebuke in certain passages, but it's always, it's always to a point of bettering yourself or, or that sounds like a self-help book. It's always pointing towards uh, bringing you closer to God. Um, and so rebukes are good things. But, but what I'm doing this morning, it's uh, just emphasizing this, this 
author of Hebrews, that there's care, there's concern, there's compassion in what he's about to say. And then you always hear um, the age-old question is, what is that therefore, therefore, if you guys are confused? Uh, verse 19, start off with therefore. So that's always a question. Well, therefore what? Uh, so basically, in light of who Jesus is and what he did uh, that the priests and leaders of the Old Testament could not do, the author is instructing Christians how they ought to respond to this truth. Because Jesus is better than everything else, therefore, how are we to respond? And he says this, since we have the boldness to enter the sanctuary. Now, it does not mean physically boldness walking through these doors. Um, what gives us boldness? Our accomplishments. And maybe this is true for some of you. Uh, who we know, sermons we listen to. Ah, follow this person. Great, but that doesn't do anything for you. You need to not stand in your place. Uh, the entertainment we avoid, there's certain sins. I'm like, oh, I don't do that. So I have boldness. Uh, the church sticker on our car. <laughs> um, I don't. Anyways. I don't, my drive is not the best always, so I don't have a sticker. Um, so no, it's not those things. It's through the blood of Jesus, as you'll see in this passage. Since we have the boldness to enter the sanctuary, through the blood of Jesus. It's not by your own merit. It's through the blood of Jesus. So what, when you hear the word boldness, what do you think of? Confidence, bravado, strength. I'd like to put it a different way. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Chicago uh, series, Chicago PD, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire. Uh, no amens? Okay. And so... <laughs> Brian, you have terrible TV shows. Um, so I, I envisioned oftentimes when you know, the, the investigative unit will have a warrant, they'll have the authority to knock on a door, say what they need to say. If, if there's no answer, if they didn't have the authority to bust through the door, they're surrounded by their partners, people who are gonna protect them. And so they just bust through the door with this authority. They have the right to be there. So as followers of Christ, we have the authority or the right standing due to Christ's sacrifice to approach the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God to commune with him personally. Verse 21 says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So no longer through an earthly priest or a representative, but through Jesus by his blood, we have direct access. Jesus does not abuse this authority either. So that's one thing that we can really hang on to. I think a lot of shows, even in the real world, we see people abusing authority. I'm... I'm I thank the Lord that Jesus does not abuse his authority. He very well could, but he does not because of who he is. So, so what we have going on in the Old Testament oftentimes was once a year, um, the high priest would go to the Holy of Holies and make uh, sacrifices and atone for the sins of the people. Um, there was even, I, I, I believe there was even a string tied to the high priest's foot to where if something happened and they did something they were not supposed to and he died, they'd have a way to drag him out. Um, so th that just shows you the, the possibilities of what could happen when things aren't taken seriously. But through Christ, he has fulfilled all that. He has fulfilled all that. And that's why we, as a part of the church, can worship. We see uh, even in verse 20, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through the flesh. So Jesus has made a way or created a new way as opposed to the old way and a living way pointing towards res resurrection. That's all Hebrews here is saying is that Jesus provided a very different way. It wasn't just, you know, when they, when they were to sacrifice animals, you didn't hear about any um, animals resurrecting from the dead. They're, they're dead, they're dead, they're dead, dead. Uh, but with Jesus, we don't, we don't get that. 
Um, and so he has now torn the curtain, torn the veil between us who were sinful, ungodly, and we now have direct access. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to ask a priest for forgiveness. We can go to God directly. And that's, it's hard for us to understand that on this side of the cross, uh, but for those who went through all the Old Testament, it, this, this would have been earth-shattering, earth-shattering. So his work has torn the curtain or the veil that sealed off access to God. And because of Jesus' life as a human, a creation with flesh, we gain access to God forever and always. Uh, there's this um, quote by Timothy Keller. It says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. If anybody else were to wake up a king, <laughs> that might be it. But we have that kind of access, Tim Keller says. We have that kind of access to God. In light of all this, the author gives a few answers to this question, why does God ask us to meet together? So let's turn our attention to the rest of today's passage. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. A lot of weird stuff going on here. Uh, but one reason why God asks us to meet together is to draw us near to him, together. Yes, you can draw near to God in your community group. Uh, you can draw near to God alone. Uh, but the purpose is, as we'll find out later in this passage, it all culminates in meeting together. So uh, you can disagree with me, but you're going to be wrong. Uh, there, is, <laughs> there is nothing better than lying on the floor or in the bed and watching my pup Murphy just slowly like jog towards me, you know? Um, wagging his tail, cuddling up next to me. I love my dog, maybe too much. Or for those of you who have human babies, <laughs> um, watch, <laughs> watching them crawl or walk into your arms from across the room with a huge smile on their face, giggling. You see, drawing near is a very intimate, personal thing in which both parties embrace each other and share a moment of closeness. Because of Christ, God has asked us to draw near, not to stay distant, or isolated from him, as I was doing during this kind of COVID break, I was isolating myself. It's, it's, it was not good. But how are we to draw near? People say, draw near to God. Well, I don't know how to do that. I'm trying to, um, is it saying a certain prayer? Is it reading the Bible a certain amount of times? Uh, is, is there just certain things I have to do to draw near? Uh, well, basically, with uh, four, four different things here. With a true heart, and you'll see this in the passage, a heart that is not divided, one that understands where its loyalty lies. So you definitely need to check yourself for, you know, divisions in your own heart. What are you prioritizing above meeting together? Full assurance of faith. While the author expounds upon this uh, in chapter 11, faith is the means by which we enter into a right relationship with God. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience. That's kind of a, it's a weird way to phrase it. Basically what's pictured here is the Old Testament priest's being sprinkled with blood before performing their duties of the sacrifice for the atonement of the sins. In contrast, Jesus cleanses us inwardly through his blood. So there's some symbolism going on here. And then our bodies washed in pure water. While there is some debate, this is most likely referring to believer's baptism. Coupled with the point before, our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, inward purity demonstrates itself through outward obedience and behavior. Let me get some... Let me say that again. Inward purity, being cleansed by Jesus' blood, the decisions we made to follow him, demonstrates itself through outward obedience and behavior. 
uh, and that obedience is through baptism. Uh, we believe that that's taught in Scripture. It does not save you. It is a symbol of a decision you made, so you can publicly announce it to people. Say, hey, this has happened in my life. I want you to know, I want you now to keep me in check and keep me accountable. So that's how we can draw near to God. Uh, verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Another way that why God asks us to meet together is to help us hold fast to our faith. In this context, the author is encouraging Christians not to waver. Do not act as someone who's double-minded, unstable in his ways. The further you stray from a source, the weaker and more susceptible you become. We can remain faithful because he who promised our eternal hope is faithful. You see, the Hebrew Christians the author is instructing are tempted to retreat to the Old Testament ways of conducting themselves and from what Christ offers through his sacrifice. They were, they were beginning, again, I've talked about the, the Old Testament law. It's, it's, not, it's not bad. It was just a shadow of what Christ was going to do. But there's just this human propensity to always go back to perhaps what's comfortable. And usually what's comfortable is within our control. And so we don't like forfeiting that to anyone. And so this, the Hebrew, author of Hebrews is encouraging, encouraging believers, don't fade that way. Don't make others abide by perhaps some of the convictions that you have. I must admit, there are times I have felt the most unstable or doubtful is when I'm not in community. Uh, we, we emphasize community groups here. Uh, they're awesome. Uh, but they are an outflowing or expression of the local gathering. There is just this special presence of the Lord when his people intentionally come together to worship. I've been a part of many solid community groups, but they are complementary to our weekly gathering, not, not to replace it. It's where, if you looked at um, through the Old, uh, New Testament, Jesus had his 12 disciples. He had, he had those that followed him. You know, it says in the Bible, there's 500 that followed him that day. He's got his 12 disciples, those that he's discipling, and then he's got kind of his inner three, Peter, James, and John, his buddies. Um, and so there's these certain, certain levels of accountability that you know, it's, it's, it's impossible for you to like, minister to everyone. God's not asking you to do that. Uh, but find a couple people that you can minister to, and that can minister to you. Um, and as a whole, we will, we will be the better for it, and we'll be uh, better to withstand the craziness that's currently in the world right now. Continuing in verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Another way uh, that we can, you know, why does God ask us to meet together? It's to encourage us to consider one another. This one kind of struck, struck home for me. Um, to consider is to think deeply and carefully about something. To be considered is to look at how something is or can affect someone else and take that into account before taking action. Um, and the word provoke here is funny because usually, usually you provoke someone that you want to kind of like get on their nerves, you know, or you provoke them because you want to see them trip up. The Bible says, you know, parents don't provoke your children to sin, don't egg them on. Um, and it's interesting because the author is using a word that usually has negative connotations, but in a positive sense, almost saying, How, however much I don't want you doing that, I do want you doing this. Other translations use the word to spur on or to even stimulate, which often, um, ra rather than deliberately inciting someone to anger, okay, uh, basically light a fire underneath them to do good works and to love others. Basically, encourage one another to outdo each other in good works. 
And how do we encourage, um, how do we consider one another through meeting together? Verse 25 says, by not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see in the day approaching. You see, we do not attend church gatherings primarily to get something. Um, primarily. Um, I say that because I don't want anyone to think, you know, you're coming to a church and you don't, you're not convicted or you're not learning something from somewhere else. It's primarily. What is the, what is the driving force? Um, it is, one, to, to give honor and glory to God that he's due. That's, that is the main primary reason. But there are also outflowings of that. Well, why? Why does God prescribe it to us that way? There is okay to get benefits for doing good things. That's, that's the joy that we get when we honor God. Joy is a benefit. Joy is a benefit. We don't attend church gatherings, again, primarily to get something. However, the end result is you will be changed and impacted because you are doing the same for others. We aren't to neglect meeting together because this is how the growth of God's people is best realized. You'd, you'd be surprised at the number of people that are coming to church Sunday morning like this because they need to see you. They need to encounter God, uh, but God is going to use their encounter with you to honor him. Uh, there are just some people in this church that... Um, you just see them, and they smile, and it's like, oh, God, I came this morning. I needed that. And, and some people might stay away from church. They might isolate themselves. They may not be prioritizing it. Uh, that's, that's not good for you. It's not that we want to pack the seats. We don't, we don't want to have, oh, like, so-and-so people came to church. We've, we hit a record. That's, that's not what it's about. We want you to be here because, because well, one, you want to be here, um, but also to encourage and consider other people. You, your presence probably means a lot more than you think. And again, I'm not trying to make it about you, um, but it is. We have a responsibility. Whenever we do have a responsibility, there is, there's parts of us where it's like, no, we, we need to prioritize. We need to be here for, for our own good. Um, but there are just some times where I just, there was just this certain person I saw, or maybe, maybe you're that person that someone else just needs a hug from. Or just to smile and say, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, it's like, oh, this person remembered I did this on the weekend. And these are small little things. But we gather together to honor and worship God, not to be saved, but as an outflow, as an expression of what he's done for us. But it's also for fellow believers. It says, it, it, I mean, I, I can't be any more clear, or the Bible can't be more clear, to encourage us to consider one another. How do we consider? Not neglecting being together. So maybe that means on a Saturday night, um, and I have to tell myself this, you don't stay out till 12 or, or 1 o'clock to where you're tired and you, you stroll in late. And again, I'm not saying you can't hang out and do things like that, but it's that priority. It's if you had uh, something big the coming day on a Saturday morning, you had this big day trip. Are you in bed probably by 8 o'clock so you can have a good trip that Saturday? I, I, I believe it. I believe it. And that's just priority. It's very practical. It's not even like a spiritual thing of going to bed to make sure. Like if you're someone who needs a lot of sleep, you know, prioritize. If you're someone who doesn't, I don't know, play Mario Kart all night and then come to church. Whatever you need to do. We got to prioritize our life. And this is for anything. This isn't just for church. This is just for anything. Uh, I had a conversation with someone here at this church. I won't name 
this person. I, I approached them and they said it was okay for me to share. Um, but I had, I had shared with him that a bunch of, um, I'd say a handful of people were not going to be here Sunday because they had an event that they were going to go to. And he's like, ah, oh, I said, he, man, blow it. Um, <laughs> but uh, he said, oh, all my buddies are going to be gone. I just probably won't come to church that Sunday. And, and he didn't. Now, I, I asked him, he's like, dude, he's like, call me out. Call me out. What you want. I, want, I want you guys to call me out as well when I am a hypocrite, because I guarantee you there are times where I will be. Uh, not intentional. It's <laughs> um, so like I'll wake up in the morning and go, let's be a hypocrite today. <laughs> but it, it, it kind of, it, it, was, it was interesting how I had, that, I had that back and forth with that individual. Like, I've heard people say, you know, oh, my friends are going to be here. I won't be here. And again, you do come to church to see people. I'm not, not knocking that. Um, but it was one of those realizations where like, okay, I'm not the only one who said that before. And, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not the only one who said that before. To where when, when certain people weren't going to come there, you decided you weren't going to come to church. That tells, I don't want to say me, but it, it reflects on how you view the importance of honoring God. That because a couple friends weren't there, there's no reason for you to come. Um, if you have felt that way, um, I've felt that way too. Coming to church with more people and more friends, yeah, I, I get it. It's more lively. I, it's, I understand that. Um, but that's wrong thinking. I think that's, I think that's wrong thinking. I think that's the coming to church for the wrong reason. Um, and we need to keep each other accountable. So, so I, when I approached him, I was like, hey, um, so that comment you said, and he just kind of started smiling because he knew where I was going to go. He's like, yep, should have said that, should have come. I was like, dude, I get it. You just don't want that to become a habit. It's okay to have those thoughts. They're like, man, my friends aren't going to be here. I love seeing them. It's, again, it's, it's okay, but it was just more of the priority that I kind of think I was getting at. Um, so anyway, I have no transition for that. So, <laughs> so consider this. While well, your friend's absence may provoke you not to attend church, there is often a brother or sister in Christ that needs your presence at church because you encourage them. So why are you, why are you coming to church? Why, why do you come here? To care for the flock is not the sole responsibility of the leaders and staff. In fact, it's just impossible for them to attend to everyone. I'm not even just talking about staff, just people who are also leaders in church. The reason why it's not their sole responsibility is because it's everyone's responsibility. That's why the duty to encourage each other is shared. While you can do this outside the Sunday meeting, in fact, it's encouraged, the church gathering was instituted for this reason. Don't let others slip away. It's not good for their soul, and it's not good for the body of Christ. So perhaps this morning, you, you know of someone that's just like, kind of, I don't want to say getting lax, but they're just going through something. I understand it's, it's not a bad thing to kind of take a step away for a season. Uh, oftentimes, when I didn't want to go to church, I ended up going, and it was the best thing for me. So I'm not going to, you know, everybody is different in that case when they're going through things. So that I understand. But if it's someone that uh, is consistently you're missing them, um, approach them about it. I think biblically, that's, that's what we ought to do. We ought to encourage. And it's a tough situation. It's a tough conversation sometimes. Um, but man, it, I've had those tough conversations and it's almost like I was so nervous at the very beginning, but once I said it and, and make sure you say it in spirit and in love and truth, it's like the walls came down and things were changed. You know, you just have to, if you're scared about approaching someone, that's, that's when the faith comes in that, that God is going to convict their heart. But the Old Testament, even the New Testament, talks all about gathering together. 
Judges 22 says the leaders of all the people of the tribes of Israel took their places in the assembly of God's people. 1 Kings 8.14 said, while the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed. Nehemiah 8.2, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Deuteronomy 9.10, on them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. See, the Greek word of the Old Testament interprets assembly as ecclesia, which is interpreted as church in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, 14.23, so if the whole church comes together, chapter 14, verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others. Acts 2, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In Acts 4, 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Church isn't used, but when you raise your voices together, you can't raise them if you're alone. So there's a lot of these implications here. So looking through all this, why does God ask us to meet together? To draw us near to him, to help us hold fast to our faith, to encourage us to consider one another. But ultimately, God asks us to meet together for our good. Sounds very simple. Sounds very simple. But God asks us to meet together for our God. It is possible to attend church but not be part of the church. You can be here and not be part of the church. And it's also possible to be a part of the church but not attend. But neither are God's will. And for those of you who, who attend New City Church or any other church, um, you're here visiting or anything like that, um, this, this, this passage, this sermon is more for you, for an encouragement. Those who uh, don't regularly attend, um, we're not asking you to do anything. Um, I thank you so much for being here and, and worshiping with us and being here with your family. Um, but this is directed towards those who, who have submitted themselves to Scripture, have submitted themselves. And when you choose to follow someone, you follow what they, what they say. That's, that's that whole submissiveness to it. And so that is our will. That is the will of God. You guys ever figured, or I, I had one pastor explain, you know, about being in the center of God's will. Not sure what center of God's will means. Can you be on the edge of it? Because <laughs> uh, that's where I want to hang out. Uh, but it's just more like God's will is basically that you accept and you love him, that you have repent of your sins and you follow him as your Lord and Savior. That, that's his will for your life. And then everything that you do as a result of that out of obedience is also God's will. It's not this mysterious thing we have to figure out. There are some that get called overseas specifically to, to live among a certain people, to minister to them for five or 10 years. I'm not, I'm not speaking of that. But God's will for your life is to do the things of the Father, to attend church, to praise him, but also for the good of others, to be considerate of others, for your own good, to minister to others, to be there for them when, when they're going through hard times, when, they're, when all they want to do is, is cry. I, I, I told my sister um, earlier this week, <laughs> I was like, is it silly that I kind of teared up a little bit because I actually have friends? And I don't mean that like, oh, he's got friends, but I had friends, and then they just, it's an ebb and flow. And, and if, there's a difference between friends and, and um, acquaintances. I think we have a lot of acquaintances um, that we get scared to get close to. Them. But I, I feel I have, I have fellowship here. I have friendship. And this is coming from, I've, I've, I, was, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 12. My dad's a pastor. My brother's a pastor. Um, so I've, I've been in the thick of it. So it's not like this is all new to me. But to finally have those friends that I can just say and act and, and, and just 
voice myself to, but also encourage them, it's because of the weekly attendance, the weekly meeting here. Because I, I would not have met them. I would not have met them. And Buster was like, no, that's not, that's not dumb. That's actually very endearing. So um, I appreciate every single one of you guys here, women and men. Maybe I haven't even talked to. I apologize. But uh, this, this, is, this is New City. This is, uh, this is who God has appointed us to be with and to encourage and to strengthen and to, to be there for and, and to sacrifice for, and we do it for God's glory. We do it for God's glory.